Amen. If that doesn't keep you humble, I don't know what will. <laughs> we are all sinners, and uh, there is nothing you can say about me that's worse than the truth. God rescued me from my sin. I in no part in any way got myself to Christ for salvation. I recognized my need. I accepted his offer, and he took me all the way. You were rescued the same way. A sinner like me and a sinner like you. God sure is good. Let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 13. And we're going to finish up this chapter today, which is perfect timing. Because next week we are starting the month of October. Isn't it ridiculous how fast time flies? So um, October, first Sunday in October next month, and we're going to be in our missions month. Now, next month, we'll be having uh, Pastor John will be preaching, I'll be preaching. We're going to be going through a series of messages. We're going to step away from our expository preaching, and during the month of, of October, focus on missions, evangelism, both local and abroad. Going to encourage your heart, going to comfort your heart, give you some updates on some of our missionaries. We do not have any missionaries coming in for the month of October, but we will be uh, getting some updates from some of them from afar and hopefully encouraging you and helping you refocus and recognize why we're giving towards missions and how that money is being used. It is also during the month of October we will start our push for next summer's missions trip back to Honduras. Uh, Pastor John took the team last summer. I had the privilege of taking them this summer. So we're going to establish those dates, get a sign-up sheet, and uh, those of you who want to go could start paying monthly towards that missions trip instead of paying one lump sum right there in uh, the end of the end of the year, beginning of the of the summer. So let's go ahead and turn now. Second Corinthians chapter thirteen. We are in verses eleven through fourteen. Just four verses today. I am don't normally preach such a small text uh, through expository preaching. I'm usually preaching chunks of six to ten plus verses. On a rare occasion, I've teach, uh, taught a whole chapter in one morning. Don't do that often. But there is so much in these verses, I didn't have the desire or the heart to put them into last week's message and lump it as one. There was just too much information. And so we're going to wrap it up today with just two main points. And uh, the title of this morning's message, God with us. Now let's pick up in verse 11. Finally, brethren, farewell. That word farewell, by the way, kind of a, a word that just you say, and you don't really think, we, we today don't say farewell, we say goodbye, right? But farewell actually has a deep implication, a deep meaning of I wish you well, I wish you joy on your own. Be joyful as we depart. Be joyful until we meet again. So this, this word farewell does not just mean I'm leaving, you're leaving, we'll see each other later. No, this, this imparts upon a desire that their emotional state would be improved as we exit, until we see each other again. And then we read on in verse 11, be perfect. That word perfect also could be misunderstood or misapplied. It does not mean without sin. That word perfect means mature. It means healthy. It means uh, you, were, you were at a place of brokenness, find a place of health. You were at a place of immaturity. I, I desire that you grow to a place of maturity. It essentially includes this idea of growing. So be growing, be perfect, be mature, be stronger, be of good comfort, be of one mind, live in peace, and the God of love and peace shall be with you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the saints salute you. 
the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Ghost be with you all. Amen. That uh, second verse in our text, verse 12, greet one another with a holy kiss. Not going to spend a lot of time on that really at all today, just really right now and not going to address it again later. In the, in the Middle Eastern culture, to kiss someone on the cheek was a way of greeting. And the Apostle Paul is addressing this type of greeting, and he is stating that in this culture, this is allowed, this is expected. Men kissing men on the cheek, women kissing women on the cheek, men and women kissing each other on the cheek. It's just how it is. In our culture, we shake hands in a lot of cultures, European and um, South American alike. They, they kiss each other on the cheek. There is nothing wrong with that. The Apostle Paul is stating, don't make it more than it is. He's saying, greet each other with a holy kiss. So he's trying to, to take the culture and the ideas of the culture and filter them through the, the morality of Scripture. Young men ought not to be kissing young women in this culture in a manner that would cause the young woman to be uncomfortable. So in this culture, if a young man is, is, is kissing the cheek of a young woman, do it in a, in a manner that both understand this is, we are a family here, we are brothers and sisters here, and there's nothing deeper than this. I think the implication would also be if you can't do that, if your maturity level or the comfort level of the other uh, does not allow for this greeting to be done in a holy manner, then find another way to greet each other. Then do not include the kissing in the way that you greet because we as Christians must keep everything that we do, relationships and actions, in a place of holiness reflecting our holy God, never taking what is intended to be uh, comforting or helpful and bringing it down to a level that causes someone anxiety or to be uncomfortable. All right, let's go ahead now and pick up with the beginning of our text, the title, God With Us. Is God with you? Well, the answer is obviously yes. God will never leave you nor forsake you. Is God with you? Well, the answer is yes. The Holy Spirit indwells you. Is God with you? Well, I mean, technically, God is everywhere. Where is God? Where, where are we that God is not? Even in the valley of the shadow of death, the psalmist David states, you are with me. Is God with you? Yes, God is with you. Are you with God? Are you with God? Well, technically speaking, if the Holy Spirit indwells you, then you are with God. Technically, if God is everywhere, then where you are, God is there. Technically, if God never promises, promises to never leave you, then God is where you are at. But that's not what I'm asking when I state the question, are you with God? You ever ask your children, you give instructions, you're talking to them, and they're zoning out. And you say, hey, hey, are you with me? Are you with me? Are you listening? Yeah? Has ever been said to you, your spouse, honey, are you with me? Huh? What? Huh? No, yeah, I didn't think so. Okay. Are we with God? The Holy Spirit is seeking to commune with us. Are we with him? God is seeking to comfort us and to offer us peace. Are we with him? God is looking to direct us. Are we with him? Because being in the presence of God is not enough. We must be under the presence of God. We must, be, we must be overwhelmed by the presence of God. And I am not talking about experience right now. Although that will be an experience, believe me. <laughs> Being with God is an experience. Not always good. <laughs> Jesus Christ stated, they will persecute, they persecute me, they'll persecute you. It's not fun being persecuted. And being in the presence of God will most definitely I encourage the persecution of the world upon you. 
God said they hated me, they'll hate you. The world will most definitely hate you if you are with God. Not all experiences with God are good, but all experiences with God are with God, and that is good enough. Even when they're bad, we're with God. I'll take it. Are you with him? God surely is with us. But this verse in 13, did you see the end of it? It almost implies in verse 13, the Apostle Paul states, I'm sorry, verse 11, excuse me, verse 11. The Apostle Paul states, if you do these things, finally, brethren, farewell, be perfect, be good, comfort, be of one mind, live in peace, and the God of love and peace shall be with you. There's almost like a do this and this will happen. Well, verse 11 is not stating that God will abandon you if you don't do these things. Verse 11 is not stating that God will ignore you if you don't do these things. I believe that verse 11 is telling us that God's presence will be stronger in the lives of those who are closer to God. That the closer you get to God, the stronger you feel his presence. The closer you draw to God, the closer God will draw to you. Are we not told that in James? Draw nigh to me, and I will draw nigh to you. God can be in your presence, and you can be in his, but you can feel distant. How many times has your marriage been exactly that? You are literally in the same room. At night, you sleep in the same bed, but you have not felt as far from your spouse as you are right now. You see, being in the physical presence of someone does not mean you are in the emotional presence of someone. Being near them does not mean that you feel close to them. And I believe that is what verse 11 is telling us. Obviously, God's presence is here. Do you feel it? Well, that's your fault, not his. Obviously, God wants to connect. Do you feel connected? If not, that's your fault, not his fault. How do I connect with God? How can I feel his presence strongly? How can I know, not just here, but know here? that God is with me. Verse 11 gives you that answer. So let's take a look. I see two main points this morning, only two main points. Normally I have three, living with others and living with God. So let's start with living with others. Letter A, godly leaders care for the emotional health of others, not just their spiritual health. You see, a parent isn't only concerned about the spiritual condition of their children, a parent also recognizes that the emotional condition of their children is also important. How are your children doing emotionally? What is the condition of your sheep, parent? How are your children doing in their relationships with their friends, in their relationship with your spouse, in their relationship with you? Yes, you must. You must find out how they are doing in their relationship with God. If you cannot see evidence of a healthy relationship with God, you should address that. But the same is true. If your child is not doing well with your spouse, their parent, you need to address that. If your child is not doing well with their siblings, you need to address that. If your child is not doing well with their friends, have a conversation. To ignore their emotional state is to affect their spiritual condition. How could that be? Emotions and spiritual are separate. Yes, they are. You don't get saved emotionally. It is not your emotions that bring you to heaven. It is not your emotions that Christ uh, uh, brings to a point of righteousness. It is the spiritual condition. But too many Christians allow their emotions to play a large part in their spiritual health, especially young Christians who just don't know better. 
especially young children who have not grown in the wisdom to understand I can separate how I feel from what is true. I can separate from my emotional darkness from spiritual darkness. There is spiritual light. God is with me. God loves me. I'm going to heaven. The emotional darkness I feel comes and it goes. It does not affect my eternity. But you cannot expect an eight-year-old to understand that. You cannot expect a teenager. Most teenagers don't fully comprehend that. To them, when they are emotionally depressed, their spiritual condition follows. To them, when they are in emotionally dark places, their spiritual condition is affected. And I I dare say, it's very true for most adults as well. If you want to help the people in your life, your spouse, your children, your friends, help them see truth. Help them recognize their emotions are not their spiritual condition, but you need to help yourself recognize their emotions affect their spiritual condition. And you cannot and you must not ignore those. Is the person in your life struggling emotionally? Do not belittle their pain. Do not say, well, you'll get over it. Do not tell them, well, that's all all right, you'll get another friend. They just lost their friend of five years Their friend of five years moved out of state. Their friend of five years moved to a different school. Their friend of five years is ghosting them. That is a deep, deep pain, and how dare you diminish it? Your loved one is hurting. You must comfort them. When the Apostle Paul speaks to this church, he says, farewell. What is he saying? He's saying, I wish you well. I wish you joy. I wish you an emotional success, an emotional place of peace and happiness. I wish you these things. Because the Apostle Paul understood the human condition was more than our spiritual health. He understood we're more than that. And he wanted the entire part of their humanity to find success. How about you? You're not going to help your loved one find emotional success by yelling at them. You're not going to help your your loved one find emotional success by ignoring them, by telling them that they don't know what they're talking about, that their feelings are just a, a bunch of lies. And although that may be true, and although their feelings are lying to them, that's not what's going to help them right now. You need to tell them, I care, and I am here. It's as simple as that. You want to add one more thing? I'm listening. There is not much emotional pain that will not find a level of health and hopefully continually to grow if you just say those three things. I'm here. I care. And I'm listening. How many wives just want to hear that sincerely from their husbands? I'm here, honey. I truly care about you. And I'm listening. Talk to me. How many husbands just want to hear that from their wives? Husbands act like they have to be strong. Wives assume that they are. The husband just wants to know his wife cares. She's there and she's listening. How many teenagers want to hear that? Every teenager. Maybe not from you but from someone. And you say, well, if it's not for me, then from who? You need to change that. I'm not saying it's okay. I'm just saying it is what it is. Teenagers want to hear, I'm there, I care, and I'm listening. And you say, yeah, but from their friends, and I'll tell you why. Because they haven't heard it from you for so long, they're, they've given up on hearing it from you. Teenagers don't think you're capable of caring or listening. So they go to someone else who is. Convince them otherwise. They need to know someone cares. They need to know someone's listening, and they need to know someone is near them, and that needs to be you, parent. And if your child doesn't know that, 
and doesn't believe that, change their mind and show them the truth. Living with others, letter B. If you choose to go with God, you must be willing to grow with God's people. Verse 11, be perfect. That word perfect, again, it means growth. It means finding healing. It means you, had, you were broken, now you're healed. You were immature, now you're mature. Uh, you were weak, now you're strong. That word perfect means a whole lot more than just the one word given here. And it does not mean sinless. When the Apostle Paul is saying be perfect, he is essentially stating find your success. Find maturity. Find health. Not happiness. Any happiness he hoped for them was in the farewell. Now he is talking the spiritual condition. Now he was talking the part of you that affects the rest of you the most. Does the emotional affect the spiritual? Yes. But you need to work towards the point where your spiritual affects your emotional a whole lot more than the other way around. Your spiritual even begins to affect your physical. I am not a faith healer, and I'm not claiming that that is a proper way to see this verse. I am not stating if you have enough faith in God, your spiritual condition will heal you of your physical ailment. Only God can do that. And your faith may or may not uh, allow God to heal you, but in the end, it's him, not you. My point is, how you feel inside affects how you feel outside, right? When you get anxious, does your stomach not up? When you get anxious, do you not get headaches? When you get anxious, do you not actually get a nauseous, sick feeling within you? I know I do. That anxiety is not in a physical thing. That anxiety is inside of me. But it results, it manifests itself in physical feelings, how you actually feel, your skin and your nerve endings. So understand that the greatest way to fix all of your problems, emotional, spiritual, physical, is to address the spiritual. And the stronger your spiritual condition becomes, the more mature, the healthier it is, the better you naturally will feel physically. It won't heal you of these chronic illnesses. Only God will do that. But it will lessen some of the pain. It won't eliminate your emotions, but it will give your emotions context It will allow your emotions to be seen and viewed through your spiritual health rather than without it. Find spiritual maturity. How does one do that? How does one grow in their spiritual condition? One grows naturally when you just stay alive, your body. The longer you live, the more you're going to grow, up, out, in all kinds of ways, right? You're going to grow. How does one grow supernaturally? When you are alive spiritually, when you are alive to Christ, when you are alive to his presence, like the natural growth of your physical body, when you are alive and awakened to the presence of God, when you recognize God is here, I am with him and he is with me, I am following him, I am in his presence, I am serving him, when you are alive to that blessed hope, the year of Jubilee, the return of Christ, when you are alive to eternity, I am not just living this life, I am living through this life to eternal life. When you are alive to these truths, your spiritual condition naturally grows. When you are aware, when you are uh, 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 um, looking into the Word of God and, and recognizing how the Word of God applies to you, your spiritual condition does naturally, inevitably grow and mature. Grow with God's people. Don't grow alone. He's speaking to a church here, and he's saying to all of them as a whole, be perfect, grow, unite. He's going to say that here in a little bit. He says one mind. Christian, it's hard to grow in a vacuum. It's hard to grow alone. The greatest of God's creation, the giant trees 
do not grow alone. They are surrounded by other things that assist their growth. On their own, in a vacuum, they would die. On your own, in a vacuum, you will not find success. The Apostle Paul says, be mature, be stronger, grow. But he's telling that statement to a church. And I'm telling that statement to a church as well. You want real growth? Be alive to Christ and stop going at it alone. Letter C. Attaining unity requires humility. He now says, be of one mind. If you want to be unified, you must find humility. You will not find unity in your marriage without compromise. It will not happen. If you are requiring your marriage to be your way only, you are only in a relationship with a master and a slave, and that slave will eventually revolt and turn on you. If you are in a relationship where you are the slave, you will revolt. That is not how God intends the marriage. My way and you follow. My way and you obey. That's not it. Unity Two, becoming one flesh, working together for the good of God. Well, Pastor Russ, it says the, the husband is the head of the house and the head of the wife. Yes, and the, the, the Bible also says the husband is to love his wife like Christ loves the church. The Bible also states pretty clearly uh, we as men are to be willing to do anything for others uh, and sacrifice for our family first and foremost. And how can we claim that we love others if we're not willing to sacrifice for them? The greatest sacrifice, the greatest opportunity to show love is to lay down your life. You say, Pastor Russ, I would die for my family. They don't need you to die for them. It's time for you to live for them. Live for your family to the best of your ability by first living for God. And when you live for God first and then place your family at second, they're going to do pretty well. So, Christian, unity requires humility. You know what the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2? I'm going to turn there. If you'd like, you can turn with me. This is a great verse that reminds us the importance of this particular point of humility. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 5. The Apostle Paul gives us a definition of the one mind that he speaks of here. So in verse 5, he says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. I'm going to jump now down to verse 11, that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. When the Apostle Paul in verse uh, 11 of chapter 13 tells the church to be of one mind, he is saying, find humility, find the mind of Christ, and when you find the mind of Christ, you will find a lot of things. Love, joy, peace, righteousness, but you're going to find humility, Ephesians tells us. And like Christ, humble yourself and stop making your life about you and stop making your marriage about you and stop making your family about you and stop making your job and your calling and your future about you. Humble yourself and serve. Christ came to this earth to die. But until that time, he served. This church will not find success by thinking like me. And I will surely not try to think like you. But we can all humble ourselves and think like Christ. And when we all seek the mind of Christ, we will find the heart and the mind of a suffering, humble servant, willingly suffering, willingly humble, willingly serving. That is the mind that God calls us to. That is the unity 
that we should find ourselves on. I have very little interest to unite with you on your philosophy of life. I just don't care. What you think is right or wrong for you, that is your right, that is your business, I'm not going to unite with you on that. We're not going to create a church that agrees with your philosophy of life. I'm not going to unite with you on politics. I, I have no doubt we have a variety of political views in this room, and that's fine by me because I'm not here to unite on politics. I'm not going to unite with you on what are the key points of, uh, of, of justice or the key points of, of, of what you feel is the, the things that matter most in a relationship, uh, whether it's marriage, family, friendship. I'm not going to unite with you on those things, but I will unite with you on Christ. I will unite with you on the mind of Christ. And you know what? It's okay that we disagree on the other things because all those other things matter very little when it comes to Christ. And when you unite on what really matters, Christ, everything else actually seems to lose its power. And Christ overwhelms. When we as Christians keep arguing and debating about the small things and we make the small things big things, we've lost sight of the big thing, Christ. One mind, united, humility, and focus on Christ. Letter D, God desires that we fight for others, not against them. Fight for others. Verse 11, live in peace. So if you have one mind, if you have humility, you're not going to fight against those. You're going to fight for them. And the, the last part, the fourth part of verse 11, is a natural result of the first three. If we are growing in our maturity, if we are uh, um, finding comfort and if we are willing to, to recognize that, that God loves us, and if we're willing to recognize that God is the main thing and keep God the main thing, then naturally we will fight for other people living in peace. Living in peace. Now let me tell you, God wants your success. But God also wants the success of the one sitting next to you. God also wants the success of the one sitting behind you. And God also wants the success of the one that's not sitting here at all. God wants the success of all. God died so all could find success. And you fighting against them is not bringing them to success. It's bringing them to destruction. You know, my biggest concern is not that you fight people, but that you win. That's my concern. As a Christian, you fighting people is not good. You beating them and winning, that's really bad. Because if you've won in your fight against people and they see you as a victor and a conqueror over them, one of two things will happen. They'll get saved and think that you saved them because you're the victor of them spiritually or they'll run the opposite direction because you're an abuser. Neither one is a good option. Stop fighting against people. And if you're going to convince someone of anything, show them Christ and let them be convinced of Christ in you. And then, in the end, it is Christ who does the convincing, not you. Living with others. Let's go now to our second point, living with God. So at the end of verse 11, we see, And God of love and peace shall be with you. Letter A, God's presence is felt strongly by those who love biblically. 
If you take verse 11 and you wrap it up into one word, as Christ already stated previously, all the law, all the prophets, all the commands are accomplished in love, right? Verse 11 is no different. All of the things in verse 11, if you just love people, you'll do all the things in verse 11. And if we love biblically, 1 Corinthians 13, 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 11, uh, if, we, if we do these things and we show the love of Christ, then we will feel God's presence strongly. Will God be more with us than he was the previous day? No, but you'll feel more of him. You'll see more of him. You'll follow more of him, and you'll illustrate more of him. God is not more of God or less of God because of your choices, but your choices will allow you to see more of God. God does not offer you more or less power because of your choices, but your choices will allow more of God's power to flow through you towards others in the way you treat them. You want to feel God's presence strongly? Then love biblically. Letter B. Those who are saved by God's grace are also sustained by it. In verse 14, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ this is the end, verse 14. The Apostle Paul is, is, is praying these things on the church, is stating these facts, and he's stating that I, I, I pray and request and believe that the grace of God is upon you. We are not saved only by God's grace. We are also sustained by God's grace. What does that mean? It means that you are going to heaven because God saved you by his grace, and you will continue to go to heaven, and that promise continues on your life because God's grace continues on your life. You don't get saved by God's grace and then stay saved by good works. No, you get saved by God's grace and you stay saved by God's grace. Well, then, Pastor Russ, when do the good works come into place? After salvation. Why? For love. We do good works because we love God. Not to earn his grace. You can't earn it. Not to keep his grace. It doesn't work that way. No, God's grace is God's grace. And your salvation is kept, offered, and kept through God's grace. We love him because he's a good God, and we show that love through good works. Why would we do that? Because he told us to, if you love me, keep my commandments. He did not say, if you want to be saved, keep my commandments. He did not say, if you want to go to heaven, keep my commandments. He said, if you love me, that's the reason to do good. That's the reason to obey the word of God. I love God. How about you? But God's grace is God's grace, and God's grace will get you through this life to the end, heaven. You may not enjoy the ride due to your choices and the choices of others, but the end result is guaranteed. The grace of God will sustain you. Living with God, let us see. God's love for us does not depend on our love for him. Hallelujah, praise the Lord. Verse 13, 14, and the love of God. Offered to you freely, unconditionally. God doesn't love you because you love him. God loves you because he is a loving God. Do not consider yourself worthy of God's love. You're not. Do not consider yourself unworthy of God's word, love because although that is true, it's not helpful to be thinking in that way. God determines your worth by what he places on you. God placed your worth on you, and so that's enough. Consider not that you deserve that worth, that you earned that worth. Consider that God offered that worth to you, and therefore it is yours. But of yourself, on your own, we are all unworthy, and God loves us 
even in our moments of doubt, even in our moments of rebellion, even in our moments of falling, of sin, of rejection, God still loves us because he is a good, good father. And our last point this morning, you cannot eliminate the presence of the Holy Spirit. You can only refuse to listen to him. You cannot eliminate the presence of the Holy Spirit. Verse 14, the Apostle Paul praying down on the church what is reality. He says, you have the grace of God. You have the love of God. He's saying you have the communion of the Holy Spirit with you all. You cannot eliminate the presence of God in your life, but you can stop listening. You can ignore him. And when you ignore him, you will not feel his presence. When you ignore him, you will not see him. And you may even convince yourself that God is not real because you do not see him in your life. That is your fault because you stopped seeing him and you first stopped listening to him. You say, I would listen to him if I did see him. It doesn't work that way. You listen first and you will see him. Can you see God in creation? Most definitely. Can you see God in his word? Without a doubt. Can you even see God in the lives of others? Yes, other people will reflect God for you. If you want to see God in your own life strongly, if you want to feel God in your own life strongly, you must first listen to him. Be still and know that I am God. And when you listen to God, you will still see him in creation. You will still see him in others. But now, you will see God within you. He was always there. The Holy Spirit communes with you, speaks with you, makes attempts to connect with you. And now when you listen to him, you will see him. Your faith will grow. And as your faith grows, your actions will reflect that stronger faith, maturity, perfection. And as your actions reflect, you will see, you will see uh, positive results. And as you see the positive results, you'll come back to God and say, tell me more. I want more of what I just saw. And God says, I got more. Listen more. And as you listen more, the cycle begins again. And you come back and say, give me more. And God says, I've got more. And the cycle begins again. And every time you repeat that cycle, greater things happen. You see more of God. But the cycle began with listening. Let's pray. Father, I pray for your people. I know it is so very hard to listen to you when we are surrounded by the noise of this world. We're surrounded by the noise of our emotions, the noise of our relationships. I pray that we would put those aside, hear you, and once you've spoken, follow you. And as we see the results of those choices, give us a strong desire to return back and hear you once again.